sing from that last song where we said, Open my eyes to the works of your hands. And Lord, let your will be done in my life. And now when we're saying, Lord, have your way, Lord, have your way with me. And we're all singing that together. You know, and it just stirred the scripture in my heart where it says, um, being satisfied with the fullness of his house. And that to, to drink from the rivers of his pleasures. And I just have to say that in all this, it's like the most, and we're seeing the other song, the thing we felt, it's like, God, there's nothing more than that I want to hear in my life. And when the Lord said to me, well done, good and faithful servant, and that he would say, you know, that I would have the, the ecstasy to say, I did the will of God. I ran the race. You know, I, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I just want to say that there is nothing more satisfying than you can say, I heard God speak to me. I did what he told me to do. And I just feel today, like God, I just want to hear you speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our spirit. Tell me what to do. you feel it says something try to be loose in our heart amen something is try to get to this place amen that we can say that you will be done in my life and it's a scary place to be I know I can feel it somebody's flesh struggling I can feel it because I've been there so many times. But the fear that I feel now, it's a fear that somebody will not say that. Let your will be done in my life. And God is passing through Jericho. And he's not stopping in Jericho. Amen. Amen. And this song that we sing, it's also foreign to me for the first 27 years in my life. I hid it all together. I drove the car. I knew it all. Heat a tree here. Dam damage relation here. Make problems over here. Ah, not too bad. I'm still on the road, you know. And for 27 years, these words that we're singing today was foreign language for me. I surrender all. I grew up. You can't surrender. It's, 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 it's a reproach to surrender. Amen. You will, somebody says, will be done in my life and my independent, full of dreams life. It's been another language. But you see, I'm sitting today and remember a cold night in September of 1984. In a, somewhere around 8 o'clock in a phone booth in Colorado. It was cold already. And I called the number that I received of somebody I met named Brother Carl. And he wasn't home. So his wife gave me Brother Tony's number. I was just traveling in the United States, driving still my own life. 
And Brother Tony got on the phone and we talked and we had such a good talk together. But Brother Tony never said anything. Maybe you want to come visit in Rehoboth? I met these people that were so nice, but somebody told me that people in America usually would not invite you to their home. So I didn't expect it. I hoped he will, but I didn't expect it. He didn't know me from anyone. And I was about to hang up the phone. And Brother Tony said, can I say one last thing? And I said, sure. If you ever come again to the United States, why don't you come visit us in Colorado? And he dawned on me. He thought I was in Israel. He thought I was out of reach for the invitation. And he said, in in Durango, Colorado? I said, yeah. He said, you are three hours from us. Why don't you come over tonight? We want to have you and host you and show you. And this week I thought I was that close to miss the will of God for my life. If the shepherd would not send for the lost one and leave the 99, it was Brother Tony who said, I got one other thing to tell you. Amen. I see something. And he he spoke the feeling that was in his heart. I wouldn't be here today. And this week, I thought, it scares me to think how close I was to miss the purpose and the will of God for my life. Amen. I haven't sat in many meetings and many decisions and many days. And it's just an illusion that we can fall into that we have many meetings and many days. When the shepherd is coming and leave the 99, he's coming for us. And he just gives us an invitation. He doesn't go to the goats. He's going to the sheep, the lost sheep, not the lost goat. Amen. And say, there's something soft in your heart still. Hear the shepherd coming again. Amen. To say, I surrender. One come to the flock. And that's my feeling right now. I don't have any big thing to say, except I have the same feeling I felt in 1984 when the shepherd reached to me, and I learned somehow to raise my hand, the fear to humble myself, the fear to be vulnerable, the fear so people would see who I really am. I was so afraid, so I didn't know who I was. Amen. I was hiding so well, so I myself didn't know. And I came to a green pasture, and I started opening myself to relationship, and I learned to know who I am because I learned to know who he is. And that's my prayer now in this part of the meeting. The year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah the strong, the confidence, I saw my eyes, the prophet's eyes, open up, and they saw somebody sitting high and lifted up. Amen. God, help Uzziah die today. Help King Uzziah die today. Get off the throne. So your eyes can open to see him who's sitting here in our midst of us today, high and lifted up. That our heart will not be afraid to experience what we feel here today and let it take us over. Oh, we sometimes got the Holy Ghost when we were young on this, but I think today the Holy Ghost want to get us. He want to get over us and immerse us and bring us to the sheepfold. So let's not be afraid. Let's open our heart. 
Amen. Open my eyes to your work, my God, the work of your hand. Amen. Part the ocean in my life. Move the mountains in my life. Because I'm not afraid anymore to open up to you, God. Amen. Amen. As we're as we as the presence of God has been moving on us today, I think that we all feel a little bit of what Sister Kim was feeling and what Brother Safir is speaking, and that is, God, what are what are you saying? What's what am I supposed to take from this? What am I supposed to learn from this? What's what's the message, God? What's what am I supposed to change in my life? What are you trying to speak to me? Amen. And I, I know that that's, that's going to come line upon line and that's going to come in many different angles, but I do believe God is trying to speak something to us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, speak it. Amen. God, make it clear. Lord, in Jesus' name, God. Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, one of the things I felt when Brother Zafir was sharing that about the, um, that situation where he's in the phone booth and he's calling Brother, Brother Tony, amen, is how easily he could have missed it. And to contemplate the ramifications of that is pretty scary for all of us. How many... You say, oh, Brother Zafir wouldn't be here today. Well, so neither would Brother Shahar, and neither would Brother Dadi, and neither would... But then we start saying all the people that Brother Zafir has brought to God, all, the, all of us that are here, because his ministry was a kingpin in our lives. And the ramifications, they become terrifying. And it all kind of seems to hinge on such a small thing. And you say, God, what, how could that possibly be? How could, how could such enormous consequences hang on Brother Tony saying, well, if you're ever in the United States, we want to we wanna host you. We want you to come. How could that be? What if Brother Tony hadn't said that? And this very week, I, I had a similar conversation um, in, in more than one setting, but with two brothers, we had almost the identical conversation. And I told him, you look back and you see things in your life that you didn't see were important at the time. You didn't see that they meant anything. But on the spur of a moment, you went in and you said, Dad, I feel like I'm supposed to go somewhere. And it completely altered the course of your life. You take that one step out and, and this wouldn't have happened and that wouldn't have happened and would I be married and would I have children and would I be in the ministry and with this and with that and with this and with that. And it's incredible. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. But what scares you is, God, how many of the, those things are we missing? When we feel like we're caught, when we feel like we're kind of bogged down in the mire, and we're not going anywhere. We're not gaining any ground. 
And we feel like we're, we want to complain against God and blame God and say, God, why am I not in a different place? Why am I not where I felt like I was going to be just six months ago or a year ago or, or longer back? Why am I still here? And maybe the Lord would point to just those kind of things in our life, small, tiny things where we had a choice, we had an opportunity, we had a window, we had a door, and we didn't walk through it. We didn't have enough respect to maybe even recognize it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I felt like the Lord put this scripture on my heart this morning, and I hope you'll bear with me. One of the hardest things when you feel like God is speaking something to you that you're supposed to communicate to his people, at least for me, one of the hardest things is how much his people already know and that you can hardly turn to a passage where they're not quoting it ahead of you, you know, or they're not drawing the conclusion ahead of you. That's very, very difficult. But the word of God endures forever. That means there's some life in it that we're supposed to draw even when we think we've drawn all the life that there is. Amen? And so I feel like I want to share something here and let God speak to us about promises and how they come to pass and how they hang on such little things, on such little obediences. Now Abraham was old and advanced in age, and Yahweh had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, we can presume we know that this is Eliezer, but he doesn't say who it is, who had charge of all that he owned. He said to him, please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Chaldeans among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife from my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to that land from whence you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there! Exclamation mark. Yahweh, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife from my son from there. He says, You're going to take her out of that. You're not going to take him back to that. Amen? But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back. Abraham has learned something in his years that you don't do things your way. Amen? Before his tragedy with Hagar, he may have said something different. But now he's willing for Isaac not even to marry. But he is not willing to violate God's call out of that old place. So he says, you're going to be free from this oath. What this means is that all of the promises of Abraham and all of the nation of Israel is hanging on the willingness of this lady that this servant has never met. If she's not willing to go, you're free from your oath. If she's not willing to sense 
That subtle, nuanced instigation of the Spirit and respond wholeheartedly to it, then you're freed from your oath and God will find another way. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go to draw water. He said, O Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master. He says, God, only your love, only your ability to see the devotion of Abraham and honor it is going to make this miracle happen here. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of men the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Amen. We know how much water she was drawing for those camels, the hundreds and hundreds of gallons that she was offering. This wasn't just a blind fleece, make it dry, make it wet, make it dry again. He really was trying to know something about her character when he put this fleece before the Lord. Amen? Amen. But, you know, not everybody has a good day. Not everybody feels like going the extra mile. Jesus said if someone asks to go with you one mile, go with them too. And if they ask for your cloak, give them your tunic also. And we believe that. But how many times does somebody come and knock on the door or call us up on the phone and say, Brother, I need your help in such and such. And we say, I can't do that right now. Much less do we say, yeah, I'll do that. And I was also feeling to do this. Amen. The entire promise of Abraham and all the nation of Israel rested on this woman, and she didn't know it. Amen. She had no clue. No more did Mary have any clue. Amen. No more does anybody have any clue when they're going about their ordinary service. Did Zechariah have any clue when he went into the temple to offer his custom service? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And the, th the thing that gets me is, what if she hadn't? She would have never known. She would have never known what she missed. She would have never known when she walked up to that man and had that exchange one step removed from the immediacy of God's prompting, she would have never known what she was missing. Now we know the Apostle Paul tells us that we should be careful how we interact with people because in this way some have entertained angels. And we know that the Lord pr promised through Abraham that he was sending his angel ahead 
of Eliezer. So this woman was, in a sense, entertaining an angel. Amen. But she didn't know. And we don't know. Amen. But God knows that the seed of his promise is going to die in the heart of a person who doesn't have this sort of readiness and attitude. It's not just a mystery. It's not a fluke, even in God's, on God's part. He is certain, he is positive that if he gives his gifts, if he gives his promises into the hands of someone who doesn't have this state of mind, it is going to be aborted. It is going to be a stillborn promise. It's going to be hard enough for Rebecca to carry in her womb this promise and to bring it to birth and to work through how it's supposed to come to fruition. That's going to be a hard enough task. But he is certain that the person, it's not like on all the other days, Rebecca was a self-centered, self-absorbed daydreamer and, and, and fantasy dweller, amen, going around in her own space and imagining her own dreams and promises, amen. And then all of a sudden that day, fluke, she did the right thing. That's not what happened. That was an ordinary day. That was not an exceptional day. That was an ordinary response. That was not a fluke response. That was what was coming from her heart. She didn't think about it. She didn't calculate it. She didn't contemplate and weigh whether this was worth her selfish while. She just said it. Yes, sir, and let me draw water for your camels also. And the entire promise of the ages was pivoting on that response. Oh, Yahweh. Amen. Behold, I am standing by this spring, and the daughters of men, the men of this city, are coming to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, Please, let down your jars so that I may drink, and who answers, Drink, and I will draw water for your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. God was appointing her as a little child and teaching her service and kindness and generosity and willingness. God was appointing her every time she made this response and nothing came of it. God was appointing her. Before he had finished speaking, this intersection of needs, this intersection of obedience, this intersection of prayer, this rendezvous of destiny, the crossing of paths, this coincidence to come together. That's what, that's what a coincidence is. This is a genuine coincidence. Amen. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your jar. He's a stranger. She doesn't know him. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. 
So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. What gets me is the quickliness of it all. Quickly. This is not someone, this is second nature to this person. This is not a calculated response. This is immediacy. This is spontaneous. This is how she thinks. This is how she lives. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence. God was watching. He was standing there saying, Oh my God, I can't believe that this is even possible. I, I, I asked for something, but this is more than what I was expecting. I know this is you, God. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether Yahweh had made his journey successful or not. He's not egging her on. Good girl, that's a way. Now don't get tired. This, this could be important. Amen. He's just, he's just watching, just taking it all in. Lord, is this, is this what it looks like? Amen. How many times is God's promise standing that close to us, gazing at us in silence? And we say, God, speak to me. God, encourage me. God, do something. But he's just quiet. He's just watching to see if there's follow through, to see if there's diligence, to see if we're going to grow weary in well-doing. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels in gold. And he said, whose daughter are you? Amen. Isn't that the question? Amen. Who, who's brought you up this way? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped Yahweh. <laughs> he's seen what he wants to see. Still, she doesn't know. But he says, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, Yahweh has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother. Now we know who she is. Now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And we know what Laban is going to be like in the future. And Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, saying, This is what the man said to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, blessed be Yahweh. Why do you stand outside, since I have prepared the house, and I have a place for your camels? So the man entered the house. 
Then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels, and watered to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. This is the servant, Eliezer. He says, no, no, we're not here for niceties. Amen. We need to get right down to business. I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. Yahweh has greatly blessed my master so that he has become very wealthy. And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife from my son. I said to my master, Suppose the woman does not follow me. He said to me, Yahweh before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful. And you will take a wife from my son, from my relatives, and from my father's house. So Abraham, we hear a little different part of the story here. He sa- we hear something he said also. He says it's going to happen. He knows that God is going to fulfill this promise. Then you will be free from my oath. When you have come to my relatives, and if they do not give, you, give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and said, O Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will t- make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I am standing by the spring, and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, Please let me drink a little water from her jar, from your jar, and she will say to me, You drink, and I will draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom Yahweh has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring and drew, and I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will water your camels also. So I drank, and she watered the camels. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her and the bracelets. And I bowed low and worshipped Yahweh and blessed Yahweh, the God of my master, who has guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now, if you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, let me know that I may turn to the right or to the left. This is still not settled. Amen. There's still a choice involved here. God has called, but are they going to be chosen? Amen. So it's the suspense, and he says, I'm willing to turn to the right or to the left. Amen. You tell me what your, what your choice is. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The matter comes from Yahweh, so we cannot speak to you, good or bad. These guys had some good sense. Amen. God is at work here, so we don't really have anything to say. And isn't that the truth? Amen. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as Yahweh has spoken. 
When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before Yahweh. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days. Say ten. Afterwards, she may go. We can imagine how this might have gone because we know who Laban was. Do you remember the story of Laban? Yeah, you can ever, but, you know, say seven. <laughs> Amen. Say seven more. Amen. So he says, let her go, but let her stay just a little bit. Amen. We know God's involved. We don't really have anything against it. But let's just slow this down a little bit. Let's just bring this down to a pace that we can all feel okay about. Now, right there is human nature speaking. That is the way we respond to God. Now, this is exactly what Rebecca didn't have. She had quickly and quickly and immediately. But he has, let's slow this down a little bit. We know God's doing something. Amen. Don't we? Don't we, Mom? Don't we, Rebecca? Okay, so we're all on board. But let's slow this down because we don't want anything to go too fast. Why do you think people slow, try to slow God's pace down? Have you ever been a child and your mom or dad come in and say, stop that right now, get down from there and leave. And there's something in the child that they just go as slow as they possibly can, not slow enough to get a spanking, but slow enough because everything in their heart is saying, I don't like that you have dominion over me. Timing represents dominion. When God says to do something, we want to do it, but we want to do it as slow as possible. Amen. And I believe it evokes in God the same response it should evoke in us, to paddle our bottoms. Amen. Amen. Except we're not children. We have a choice in the matter, don't we? And he's not going to do that. He may just walk out of the house and say, I'm turning to the right or to the left, but this is not where I'm working. Amen. How many times in Jesus' day did he walk into a person's life and there was such a split-second choice that they made? Put down your nets and follow me. I mean, why would they do that? And it says immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. He also says that Jesus said it immediately, which I don't know what that means. But that mean, to me, that means Jesus is walking along and it doesn't look like he's doing anything. It doesn't look like he's interested. Boom, all of a sudden he says something. And their lives hinge on that moment. Amen. Brother Gabe told me last night, or earlier this week, when we were having this conversation, unbeknownst to Brother Zafir, he said, the Lord put it on his heart. Go contact Brother Josiah. He doesn't know that the Lord's put it on my heart, I mean, on my dad's heart, excuse me, not my heart, that Ossie's supposed to have, start having youth meetings. Amen. So <clears throat> the Lord's put it on, on his heart. Contact Brother Josiah. And he says, what am I going to say to him? 
but he, he can feel that there's some pressure from God, do it. And so he calls him up and says, Brother Josiah, I don't know why I'm calling you, but I just want to let you know, I feel like I'm supposed to call you. Maybe there's something I can help you with or something. Brother Josiah says, well, that's funny you call because I've been feeling like I wanted to connect with you, but I, I felt held back from calling you. And then one thing leads to another, and Brother Josiah says, why don't you start helping us in the youth meeting? Boom, 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 boom. All the things are coming together. And Brother Gabe comes into his ministry just hinging on that little choice. Immediately, they put down their nets. We like to hold the nets. What do you think, James? I don't know, John. Well, um, you know, I mean, this is God's will that we provide for our families. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, uh, What's this about? I mean, can we have lunch over it? <laughs> I want to pray about that and get back with you. There's a time to pray about something. You know when that time is? When we don't know what God's saying. But when we don't know, when we do know that God is speaking and we don't know what he's saying, there's something wrong with us. And that's the most dangerous place in the world to be. Amen. We think that it's safe to slow things down to our pace because then we can maintain our illusion of control, that things aren't happening outside of our timetable. Amen. And the, the tragedy is, it's a truth. We take back control of our lives, and God isn't anywhere. He leaves us to our own devices. Amen. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And there's an appropriate time for everything. And these times and seasons are not set by our authority, nor even the sun, but they are given by God. And if we don't respect those times and move out when he says move out, and quickly take down the jar when he says to take it down, and quickly draw up water when he says to draw it up, we are going to miss the timing of God. And it's not going to be a fluke. It's going to be because it reveals something about our attitude towards submission. We don't want to be in submission to God and his timing. We want to feel like things are under our control a little more. So let's just slow this back down. Amen. I think of all the times. I cannot tell you how many times God has spoken something to my dad. And he will share it with one of us. And we're thinking, yeah, this is a good idea. And then the next thing's out of his mouth is, okay, so let's do this this Friday. Talking about making a step forward in this, or talking about growing in this or doing that, it's exciting because we're still in control. Nothing's happening. So the, 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 the talk is something that we can manage. Amen. But when God is saying to do it, we feel out of control. Amen. Well, should I start them this week? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Really, God? Amen. Laban felt that way. Amen. We're not going to say whether it's God or not. We're not going to say anything because we know it's God. Is there a time to wait? Yeah, there is a time to wait. And that waiting better be in fear and trembling saying, God, I've got to hear your voice. 
Lord, I will give you no rest. <laughs> give him no rest. Amen. Amen. Until Zion travails. Amen. And brings forth the purpose that God has intended. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Is there a time to say that's not God's will or it is God's will, but it's not now? Yes. But that also is God's will. That's an immediate thing. Amen? But to stay there in that place where we're not saying it is or it isn't and just to slow it down to our pace, I believe it is revolting to God. Amen. Get on our face. Let's pray. All right, we feel like the Lord is saying to do this, but this is not his time. That's a word we can obey. We're feeling like the Lord is saying, this is not his will. That's a word we can obey. But just wait 10 days until it feels better. That is a word we cannot obey. But her brother and mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days. Say 10. Sounds just like the human, the carnal nature. Afterwards, she may go. He said to them, do not delay me, since Yahweh has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Don't you, don't you get in the way of what God is doing. Amen. Do not delay me, since I feel the Lord motivating my way. <laughs> Get out of it. Amen. And he said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. And again, she could have said the same thing. He's not going to take her against her will. Even back in those days, <laughs> he's not going to take her against her will. And he said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Period. Thus they sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse with Abraham's servants and his men. They blessed Rebecca and said to her, May our sister become thousands of ten thousands, and may her descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Amen. What they were saying is may the kingdom of God come to pass right here. Laban had no place in the kingdom of God. He had a part to play, but he had never had any place himself. He never became part of the people, but his sister had a different attitude. Amen. And she became the mother of the faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Find a place where you hate forceful advance, where you want to slow things down to a crawl, and that is a place where the kingdom of God is dying in your life. You say, oh, Brother Ossie's encouraging we shoot from the hip without hearing from God. No, that's not what I'm encouraging. Brother Ossie's just saying that if we haven't heard from God, we are in a very, very dangerous place. Because the times and seasons are not ours, and they're about to pass us by. But if we have heard from God, if it is to wait, then wait immediately. And if it is to go, then go immediately. Amen. But we better restore our fear and trembling about just wanting to slow things down to our comfortable rate. Amen. 
From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and violent men take it by force. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, after John the Baptist, the gospel of the kingdom has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. Amen. You're not part of the gospel. You're not part of what God is doing. Amen. The prophet Malachi heard from the Lord and he says, go on the rampart. Stand out there on the pinnacle and look because the word of God, the vision is coming. It hastens toward its goal. Wait for it and it will come. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But when it comes, you better jump on board. You better jump on it because it's going to keep going right past you. And it's going to find somebody who will do just that. Somebody who will immediately take down their jar. Someone who will immediately offer to draw water for the camels. Amen. Someone who will be diligent and zealous and timely even when they don't know God is standing by watching in silence. Amen. In the book of Numbers, the 14th chapter, we know the story of how all of the nation of those once enslaved Israelites, all of them, all of their 40 years of wandering or however long it had been at that point, it wasn't 40 years, but it was years. All of their trials, all of their lessons, all of the bloodshed, all of the cost of this great journey, it all boiled down to one moment, one night. And the Lord said, cross the Jordan right now. They waited 24 hours. No, it wasn't even that. They waited 12 hours. They said no for 12 hours. God's not that kind of God. He's he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Do not count the long-suffering of our God as slackness, but he's being patient towards you. And that's true for 20 years. But then there comes a point where God is done. He is sick and tired. He is fed up with all the excuses and all the unnecessary delay. And he says, cross tonight or there will be consequences. But sometimes he doesn't even say, or there will be consequences. He just says, cross tonight. Amen. And it's time to leave it all behind or to be caught in it forever. Amen. And they wailed. They said no. And 12 hours later, they got up in the morning. They said, let's sleep on it. Amen. You know, I just want to sleep on this. 12 hours later, they woke up and they all gathered to Moses and they said, Moses, we're ready. That's what it says. In the morning, however, they rose up early. Come on, guys, get up, kids. Let's go. We missed it last night. Hurry, come on, let's go. They rose up early and went to the ridge of the hill country saying, here we are. I know we're late, but better late than never. No. That's not true. Here we are. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which Yahweh has promised. We know, we know, we know. Okay, don't even say it, Moses. We know. We're late, but we're here. Amen. 
And Moses says, do not disobey Yahweh this way. God is more, obedience to God is more about timing than it is even about what you're doing sometimes. Do you understand that? The Lord told him, cross the Jordan. But the next morning, it would be disobeying God to cross the Jordan. Amen. He wanted a people who would be obedient to him immediately. And he knew he could never inherit that promised land with a 12-hour delay always waiting for them, always, always putting a buffer between them and their God. Amen. Do you understand? Amen. Strike now and 12 hours later. He, again, the Lord knew that these kind of people would not receive the promise. Now, we know the wisdom of God in keeping them from crossing it for however many years that was or however long it was. Do you understand? It was obedience to not cross it until that day. I'm not saying it's always just God's will to rush ahead. Are there scriptures that speak of that? Most certainly. That's keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. What that means is, again, presumptuous sin represents dominion. It's us wanting to have the times in our hands. Amen? And people do that just as often. Well, not really, but almost as often. People want to dig their heels in and drag this out, even when they know it's God's will. Because they don't want to feel like they've completely lost control. But the presumptuous sin is the same way. Those who move on ahead, as John said. Amen? Those who, who want to jump the gun. Those who want to run just for the sake of running. You remember the story when David needs to hear news of how the battle went and the man just runs without the message? My dad's ministered that my whole life. Amen. That's how people are in the church today. That's the dynamic of evangelism in the church today. Run, 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 run. And they have no message. They haven't heard from God. But their problem is not their willingness to run. Their problem is their willingness to act without hearing from God. And, and so many times our problem is our, our, our willingness to delay without hearing from God. And the problem will be solved when we determine to hear from God. Now, when we set our face to hear from the Lord as did Daniel, and we give him no rest until he shows his way before us. I'm sure there'll be an outbreak of shooting from the hip. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to do this. And that's just as damning. Amen. But when you've heard from God, you're not acting on that. Amen. And when you've heard from God, there's conviction in your voice. Amen. And when you speak the word that God has spoken to you, it resonates with the Holy Spirit and other people. They say an amen. But when everybody feels like the safest thing is just to wait, that's how we miss the promise. That's how it goes right over to someone else. Thank you, Jesus. Story of the ten virgins. What's the message of that story? Is the message that they shouldn't have sought more oil for their lamps that were going out? Mm -hmm. 
No. The message is that they were out of the timing of God. In the end, they received the exact same amount of oil as the righteous virgins. But the righteous virgins did it in the timing of God, and the unrighteous did it later. They were ready, and they entered when the door opened. The others got the exact same. The righteous virgin said, go do what we did. Go buy from the people who sell. Don't take what we got. Go buy from the people who sell this. That's where they had gotten the oil too. But they didn't do it in the timing of God. And when they were ready, it was too late. So the righteous entered while the foolish were gone. The wise wisdom, amen. For this reason it says, Awake, you sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but wise. And what is this wisdom? We believe wisdom is to bring it down until we understand every facet of it, to divide it and conquer it. This step, this obedience is too big, God. So let's reduce it down to something that I can get my mind around. Let's chop it up into tinier and tinier pieces so that I can fit my little mind around it and then I feel like I'm in control and I call that wisdom. But that's not the wisdom Paul is speaking of in Ephesians 5 right here. He says, be careful how you walk. He just told him to wake up. Then he says, start walking, get out of your bed and start walking. But be careful how you walk. Don't walk as unwise men, but as wise men, comma, how, what is this wisdom? Making the most of your time, or literally redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Foolishness is the foolish virgins who don't realize that the timetables are not in their favor. But wisdom is to recognize timing more than to plot a perfect strategy, more than to get all our ducks in a row. Wisdom is to see the opportunity and seize it before it passes by. The great generals of armies, they, they do not win their decisive battles when everything goes exactly according to their planning that took months and sometimes years to plot out, they win their decisive victories when in a split second they see a soft spot and they move in the timing that it requires. Amen. So foolishness is delay. Wisdom is to know that we better redeem this time. We better get this time out of the enemy's hands and start using it for our own good. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So then, do make the most of your time because the days, he says, do not be foolish. Do not walk as unwise men, but redeem the time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's what it all comes down to. Amen.
foolishness is to walk, just to stumble along, waiting. We need to actually get the mind of God and understand what the will of the Lord is and do it. The foolish virgins, they went to get their oil. Did they need oil? Yes. Did they get it from the right source? Yes. Was there anything wrong about where or what they got? No. But when they came, they began to knock on the door, saying, let us in. We have what we need. We got a hold of God finally. I've heard from God. And there was no answer, at least no answer that blessed them. He says, get, depart. I don't know where you come from. You come from a place of your own making. You come from a plan of your own devising. You come from times and seasons that are in your authority. But those who are in here, I know where they come from. Amen. Because they've been walking with me one step at a time, never missing a beat, right there while I was silently watching. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So many times when God shows up to do something incredible, he shows long-suffering. But we better learn the lesson and get quick. Amen? Because the day's going to come when our delay is our destruction. We are going to mess out with God. Amen. Do not delay me because the Lord has prospered my way. Amen. I stand amidst eternal ways. Get out of the path because I'm moving forward. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I believe it frustrates God. I truly, truly do. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We know the story, of course, when Lot delayed. Amen. Those are the easy ones to recognize because he's in Sodom. And of course we need to get out of Sodom. But what about the positive steps? What about the little obediences that destinies may hinge on that we don't ever know about? When God shows up, he doesn't want our delay. He's there to cut through it and get us back on course. Amen? I always love the story of when Peter was in the prison, and he's sleeping, and they're praying. Amen? Poor guy, he's gone through a lot that day. But the Lord answers prayers in a pretty fast way. Just like they took Lot and pulled him by the wrists, always feels like we're a step behind. Amen. It says that while they were praying, the angel stood before him and struck him on the side. <laughs> How would you like to be struck by an angel? I hope that's what God's doing today. Amen. Struck by the angel of Eliezer. Amen. The angel comes in there and strikes him on the side and said, get up now. Amen. Or arise quickly. And it says he stood up and the chains fell. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Let the Lord strike us on the side. Amen? Get up now. The chains are gone. And he says, come out with me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. God, I want to move in your timing. God, I want to surrender my dominion. Lord Jesus, God. Hallelujah.